0: We see that it's a big void in the industry right now. There's a lot of prop tech out there that'll tell you, buy this widget, buy that widget. Where they fail is on the operationalizing of that, and that sustained improvement. You can get the easy, quick wins, typically. Oh, the scheduling's off. Well, that's an easy fix. You probably didn't need an analytic system to tell you that your scheduling was off. You had to look at your schedule's. But through your quick wins, and then you get into this persistence, and that's where we see a big problem in the industry is how do you maintain this from a persistence perspective.
1: You're listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, real estate and Industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data that you don't have that will change your life, with your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by IDON PropTech OS. IDON PropTech OS is an operating system for property owners that unlocks all smart building benefits in a future-proof way used and supported by Microsoft Azure and Scandinavia's largest property developers. Stay tuned to discover more about them and why companies love this solution. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast and today we have Jerry Richmond with us. Please, Jeremy, who are you and how did you happen to end up in this industry?
0: Jeremy Richmond. I'm the Director of Business Development for DB Engineering here out of Redmond, Washington. We're a smart building consulting firm that specializes in delivering value from data to end clients. So I got started in this industry, just kind of fell into it. It all happened out of necessity and just wanting to do things better than they were doing being done. I could see that there was a, just a better way to do it. And then that led me from position to position to position to position to where I am today. But it's funny because I I grew up spending my time on a farm, working with cows, chickens, pigs, tending the farm, as it were, as a child. And when I had enough of that after I graduated from high school, I said, you know what, I'm going to go see the world. And so I joined the Navy as a interior communication electrician, which is just somebody that worked on anything electromechanical. If it had a wire to it and it moved, that's what I worked on. And so I did that for like 10 years and number of different places, got a chance to go see the world, been to Italy, France, Croatia, Greece, Crete. When was this? Oh, so this would have been 97 to 06. And so I just got a chance to go out and see everything and work on a lot of different pieces of equipment, cut my teeth on thermodynamics, learning that, understanding hydraulics but not from a classroom perspective. It was all from a, the piece of equipment broke and now go fix it. (laughs) Whether you knew how to or not. Yeah, that's awesome. So when I left the service, I got into what I knew how to do. Good part of that was automation and fixing things. So I worked for a controls company for a little while that specialized in the Allerton product line. After about a year of that, decided that was not going to be my life. Then went to the facility side of the house on the operations teams. I knew how to fix equipment. I knew how to work with people. And I was uh, quickly promoted up through the ranks, worked for everybody from M Corps to CB Richard Ellis to another company called Unico here in the Seattle area. And I was running roughly two and a half million square feet of just mixed use office, medical, a little bit of everything. So spent a period of time there. And I'm a puzzle person. So I need a puzzle. I need to fix something. And once I had kind of gotten everything to about as far as I could get it. The large building that I was in, it was 1.2 million square feet, mostly commercial office. I had taken it to a Energy Star score of 100 and a LEED EB Platinum rating. And so I was like, okay, well, running out of challenges. I need to find something else to do.
1: That's when you decided to break everything and start from scratch, right? Kind of, kind of. <laughs> I broke the mold
0: anyway, that's for certain. Yeah, that's something. So I went to a mechanical company here in Seattle. It's a large mechanical company that had one of the largest service contingents, over 100 technicians, servicing 5,000 customers in over 3,000 buildings. I think I can find some challenges in there. So I came over and I was running the energy group at the time. So all of our energy savings performance contracts, energy auditing, things of that nature, go in, figure out what's wrong, how to make it better. And so this was 2012. So it was right after Microsoft did their large scale pilot for fault detection. And what I had started to see was there was a better way to use the data that we were pulling off of the site in order to advance and reduce risk from a service perspective and enhance the operations to the client. I built up a smart buildings team. What I had stood up there I took it from infancy to it was running, it was playing, it was doing everything it was going to do. And it was time for me to go do more and came over to where I'm at now with DB Engineering as a director of business development, working with just global clients. And it's fascinating to me to see that some of the clients that we're currently engaged with, they're down the path. They get it. They understand what they need to do. One of the things I always say is a smart building is going to tell you what's wrong with it and where it needs to have attention. But if you don't go and do anything with that, then you just paid me a whole lot of money to tell you where you already knew you had problems. And it doesn't make any sense, right? There's a big focus on our side from the operational component of just dealing with smart buildings. And then we see that it's a big void in the industry right now. There's a lot of prop tech out there that'll tell you, buy this widget, buy that widget, and where they fail is on the operationalizing of that and that sustained improvement you can get the easy quick wins typically oh the scheduling's off well that's an easy fix you probably didn't need an analytic system to tell you that your scheduling was off you had to look at your schedules but you get through your quick wins and then you get into this persistence and that's where we see a big problem in the industry is how do you maintain this from a persistence perspective
1: super interesting but just going back a little bit sort of you said that you wanted to focus more on the operation side or that was the focus focusing on like the creating value for the clients was that still sort of from an energy savings perspective or was it more around like maintenance perspective asset maintenance looking at the net operating profit let's say well being productivity these kind of things what do you think about the 30 and the 300 aspects not so much the energy side of things
0: yeah it's very interesting when we get into those conversations is as- It's like, what's the value of your house worth? Well, it's whatever somebody's going to be willing to pay for it, right? And so you end up in this realm that there are different things that are important to different clients at different levels of the organization. And so especially when you have kind of the top-down approach, they're always focused on what's my ROI? Why am I going to invest in this? How are we going to do better? And so when we get into that world, though, we got to start looking at, well, I can tell you everything that's wrong, but if you don't fix it, there's no ROI. None whatsoever. Um, I'm very transparent with our clients when that's the direction the conversations tend to go. And then we start to shift that conversation to say, look, in a few years, this is just going to be the norm. This is just how we're going to do business today. And that's really going to start to focus in on that 30 and that 300.
1: You're creating the base plate for the future. Right. I think that's what you're saying. And then that would allow them to sort of transition into the 30, into the 300, because they got the platform to be able to do this.
0: Right. Exactly. And some of our clients use what we would consider third-party applications to do kind of their single pane of glass, their fault detection, their interface to their CMMS. So that's their hub to tie in their different pieces of integration. And then we have other clients that are some rather large Fortune 5, Fortune 10 clients that they wanted to build everything themselves. They didn't want to go out and ask that provider, hey, give me that data. Let me get access to that data. I just want to have it natively. They don't want to ask anybody for it. If you ask me for, it, yeah, here's my API, get whatever you need. They don't even want to go to that level, right? It's They want 100% autonomy and control over it.
1: Okay, so you help them with that journey then. So if they want to do that, you can help them. So you are then what people call it in the US or maybe elsewhere as well, like a master systems integrator.
0: It's a almost a hybrid of that because I see the MSI as they're the ones who are actually connecting to the different data sets, right? I'm not doing that, but I'm telling you how you should connect to it. I'm essentially, I'm putting your specification together for you're going to go collect this data at that kind of interval. And this is the ontology you're going to, Call it. These are the parent references that you're going to apply to it. So, when we worked with some of our clients and built their ontology, they decided to open source it. And we're a big proponent of that, obviously. We want to be completely transparent. There's no black box, there's no anything behind the scenes. And if there's a better way to do it, then let's do that. So, like we can start to see fault detection is starting to almost go away on that bleeding edge and is being replaced with ml models which are then going to be replaced with just deep learning right and so pretty soon you're going to have a building soaked in deep learning and neural nets and then you're going to have 3d printers on site and when that actuator fails and it has starts to have high confidence okay that piece of equipment has now failed or is failing
1: let's just print a new actuator put that in exactly. and then you got a robot that does it on call anyway right so that's awesome and i think like in all of the podcasts so far or like the interviews i've never been down this route that fast so i love this i think this is fantastic yeah. that is where it's going right but again buildings in general, they're not that sophisticated. So even if this would be the route that the buildings are taking, Uh a lot of buildings as well as operations, I mean, teams, system integrators, et cetera, et cetera, everyone in the real estate space. We're not really there yet, I would say, both from an organizational standpoint, as well as a technical standpoint and these kind of things. But I mean, uh, where are the drivers in this? Is it you that are telling your customers that this could be done, that this should be done? Or is it the customers and you do this in a dialogue based on having created that platform? How did these conversations come into play? Or is this as you just telling me because you think that this is cool? Or are these conversations that are really happening out there with your global clients today?
0: So absolutely, they are conversations that are being had today about, okay, what's the next thing, right? We can already see with Google, they've come out and, and said, okay, We're replacing 80% of our fault detection algorithms with machine learning. And here's the code, by the way, for what we're using it. And if you can use it, great. Go ahead and have at it. And we love that, right? So these are definitely conversations that are happening with clients today with how do we do more? How do we do better? But we do have people on both ends of the spectrum. Right, is we have people going, how do we move into more machine learning? How do we set up these neural nets? How do we get into this deep learning environment? How do we make this deep learning environment cost effective as well? And then we also have people on the exact opposite end of the spectrum that are still wondering how to get data out of their legacy backnet MSTP devices that are supported by one contractor that was put in 10, 12 years ago.
1: (laughs) They're using proprietary tools. You got to use their products, all these kind of things, right? Exactly. I think that's sort of where a lot of the business is today, to be honest. I'm hoping that it's going to be more towards the other end. That's what I'm also aiming for. Let's stay on the cutting edge. How would you go about it with AI-ready buildings? How would you prepare a building to become ML-ready or AI-ready to have this data quality, to have these open APIs or whatever, to be able to do these things? Because like AI, machine learning, whatever, it's not that difficult once you have a grasp on the data, if it's tagged, Right. but how do you get from where companies are as in MSTP building, BACnet, uh, pneumatics, it's a whole mix. How do you raise the digital maturity from an existing building where it is today to where it needs to be to be able to do these kind of things?
0: It starts with understanding what are the limitations of the on-site equipment. Right. And having a good, solid understanding of what are the limitations. If it's a legacy backnet MSTP system, I may only be able to ask for that data. I could put in a gateway, whether that's Kepware, IoT Stack Edge, whether it's a Raspberry Pi or whoever. There's 18,000 of these gateways that are out there on the market. Probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but there's a lot.
1: I think it's like 16599 <laughs> I checked yesterday. Exactly. No, no, I agree, right? It's just like a commodity these days to do like just a scan of the backend network. You get the data out. You take just like a gateway protocol converter, whatever, and just get it out somewhere. To exactly.
0: Out you can buy them off the shelf, but you have to understand the limitations of that. And then applying it into a standardized ontology, right? That not only you will standardize the name, but also go into any kind of relationship information.
1: Okay, so naming conventions, haystack as in hashtag tagging is almost a little bit. And then we got brick schema for the relationships more on the ontology aspects. And I think we briefly discussed like real estate core and the DTDL stuff from Microsoft. And then you mentioned Google with their- Digital
0: Buildings Ontology, DBM.
1: So is that the stuff that you've been using? Because both like Google stuff and Microsoft, they're sort of new at least, quite new. Real Estate Core is also quite new, at least in the last couple of years. Haystack can break their old dir. And then you have like the 223P working group from um, Acnet, right? They're also working on this aspect of providing tagging capabilities, I would say, and then working together with Haystack to get this done. But I mean, like out of that stuff, how do you apply then the ontologies to the data or vice versa? What are you working with today?
0: So we try to automate that as much as possible. And so we help clients. We either build it ourselves with our own SDEs, software development engineers. So we either use our own and build it and then interface with it. We'll tie it into the GitHub repos to do that data verification and validation. Or we'll work with our clients where they want to have it a little more tailored to themselves. They don't want to just necessarily open source it. And here's our GitHub repo for all right kind of a thing so yeah yeah. end up kind of doing a little bit of a derivative or a hybrid with that specific client but then we either do it ourselves for our clients or we work with them and build that automation and validation into that right and so the outputs of that then are essentially either hey everything conformed it's ready for onboarding or there's some non-conformance that needs to be adjusted Whether that's we need to append the libraries and add new context into libraries, which is something that never really stops and won't stop anytime in the near future. As we start to get in, oh, there's this legacy system over here. We don't have standards for that yet, so we're going to build those as we move.
1: You have like a core, we use a little bit of haystack, we use some brick, we use this, this, and this, as in the foundation. And then you're mapping the data towards a kind of structure that you sort of use as a base structure for every client. And then you modify it a little bit to the client's perspective, what they're after, et cetera, et cetera. And then you so like decide also, is this going to be open source or is this just going to be for the client? But you're mapping data to a structure.
0: Correct. Yes, we're mapping data to a structure and we have starting points, right? Whether it's a derivative, a hybrid derivative or a brick derivative, whether we just use DBO in and of itself, or whether we use DTDL or REC by itself, or we have a best of both worlds kind of approach that we work with. But we do that automation in that data layer, that data mapping with our clients. And then from there, we have essentially outputs to historical data. We have outputs to non-normalized data, because if we want to do replay, if we have to change anything. So we like to have just a raw data store. And then we also have outputs for event management and then outputs for analytics. And we see those as very two distinct devices. One of them is going to tell you where you might have a problem from an analytic perspective on the fault side. And then you have another one that's going to okay, this is in a an event right now. Your chiller is surging. It's going to drop offline. Get somebody there, go fix it. So you have a low approach. Go right now. You need to attend this. So, and we see those as two distinct pathways and we work with our clients in setting up what those are going to be. And then what we've done now is start to interface in more machine learning onto the analytics side to try to replace... It's funny because we have a, a strange business model that we try to replace our own services, right? <laughs> like We don't want to be the ones filling out load sheets and doing the tagging and then get paid to do that. We just automate it, right? So that took somebody's job and it just didn't take their job, just transformed their job, right? Same thing on the analytics side. We don't want to have people just writing fault algorithms that are tailored for a client. No, let's get rid of that. Let's do something better than that. So really just trying to focus in on if there's a human doing an activity, If we can automate that, we want to
1: automate it. Perfect. Perfect. No, I think like I wrote about this as in it's better to disrupt yourself than let someone else do it, right? Absolutely. Okay. So you start with a baseline, understand with the customer where they are from a sort of like technical perspective, then do sort of like what is the low hanging fruit as in to get the data out. Then you apply ontologies, naming conventions, these kind of things to apply sort of like meaning to that data. And then you take it to one API or many, depending on how you see it, from the building, where you can sort of apply machine learning and these kind of things straight into the data source that it now has meaning instead of doing, you know, silo specific FTD analytics tools that are very manual. Is that sort of a fair assessment or a summary?
0: That's pretty fair. We'll do the visualization side of the house, you know, whether it's Power BI or Tableau or however we want to. Pull in this data to visualize for the end clients.
1: Yeah. Do you do anything with like point cloud scanning, these kind of things? And you map the data towards like a real digital twin, or like I wouldn't say a real digital twin, but I mean a point cloud scan or floor plans, these kind of things?
0: So we do have some of our clients doing that right now. We work with them. And then they build that into their graph database and now they have it as a a visualization, I'd call it a digital twin visualization that the end users are then interfacing with. But again, we have people on different ends of the spectrum. It kind of goes back to what's the use case? How do they want to use it, right? If they're just wanting to get the intelligence out of the system and not necessarily replace their automation, their front end, their graphics, how the users are gonna interface with the application, They just want the data. Well, that's one pathway. We have other clients that are, how do we bring this into a larger context so that we can go to one place to do all of our visualization, to do all of our interface with the site? And then from a new construction perspective, if I don't have to now build graphics into this system or that system, we can start to reduce those deployment costs and then kind of reallocate those funds into another platform. So we have people on both ends of those spectrums.
1: Here's more from the Beyond Building sponsor, IDEN PropTech OS. IDEN PropTech OS is powered by the data mapping capabilities of the open source semantic language Real Estate Core, which unlocks a host of smart building benefits. By leveraging the potential of existing building data, owners can facilitate better building utilization, new customer services, and more efficient building communications. IDEN PropTech OS is free from reliance on proprietary systems. It connects smart buildings to a shared development marketplace, new services, and possibilities on a far larger scale, including the latest energy, certification, utilization, and communication applications. If you want to scale into the future and have a platform to go beyond buildings, then PropTech OS is something for you. Find out more at idonrealestate.com. Where is the business case created? Is it, again, like going back a little bit again to the 330, 300 side, is it sort of like the CEOs or is it the CFOs? Is it like a smart portfolio play? Is it more of a building to building kind of thing? Where is it coming from?
0: Yeah. So I think a good amount of what we've seen has come from the smart building portfolio side and whether that's headed by the sustainability team and their efforts In wanting to reduce carbon emissions, reduce gain efficiencies, and having a single kind of portfolio in view to track that. I've also seen it come from the CIO, the CFO, CEO kind of suite down to say, this is what we're going to do because we're going to be best in class. This is a differentiator for us. We know it's going to have impacts in facilities. We know it's going to have impacts in sustainability, energy teams, but there are other unknown use cases that we know we're going to see from this. We just don't know what all of those are right now. Like I was listening to a webinar, it was around digital twins and how they wanted to use that digital twin model from a leasing perspective. That was an entire business case that became out of necessity that broker wanted to be able to show a client here on the 17th floor, if you want 5,000 square feet, this is what your space could look like. And they did it on the fly. And so that's a business case that I wouldn't traditionally align with anything that we know of today from an energy and sustainability.
1: Exactly, I think that's a perfect transition into what is a digital twin, right? And what are the use cases that it should be used for? And I think one of the use cases is that you don't know yet. right? When you have this data, when you can apply data to like machine learning, AI to it or whatever, plus you have the visualization aspect, like the data or like the value is created by the ones that are interacting with the building. It could be these like the ones that do lease agreements. They can show this. It could be what you said about the CEO play as in we want to be best in class. We want to have this to show to our customers or whatever. It's like everything. Going back to. What smart buildings are? You've been working with the facility management teams and that kind of side. A lot of these smart building conversations revolve around building automation systems. It's BackNet. It's these kind of things. We talked about it as well and BMS side, FDD, etc. What about tenant engagement, uh, audiovisual stuff, uh, lighting, comfort, these kind of things? Is this also tied into? these ontologies or are they separated in silos still or is it the smart building is that for real when Jeremy Richmond and his team of great people have been into the mix? Is it a smart building or is it part of a smart building?
0: I would say that it's part of a smart building because it doesn't end with the with the HVAC system. It doesn't end with the lighting systems. When we start talking about space utilization, getting into people counters, digital signage If there's an emergency and evacuation needing to be necessary, how do we remind everybody on the 17th floor that their uh, evacuation area and their congregation area, their meetup area is going to be in X location, right? How do we push that information to the digital signage on the 17th floor? How do we let the fire department know that everybody is off of the floor? We accounted for 115 people going in and we actually had 114 people go out. And therefore, we think there's still a person on that space. So it's much more than just the HVAC side of the house. I think that's where the conversation starts a lot, because that's where everybody's trying to go after an ROI. But there's so much more that it applies to.
1: I love that, because that's something that I should talk more about, as in from a building perspective, holistic building, because we talk about smart buildings, right? And also, what is its context to a smart city? What are the organization's capabilities of utilizing the smart building after we've been there? Are they, can they do it? Do they have the people to do it? Or should it be smart building as a service and all these kind of things? I think this is really cool. But going back to sort of all of the beginning where we talked about 3D printing actuators, doing like the predictive maintenance of these kind of things. What is the most cutting edge stuff that you're working with today that you can do once you've taken all of these steps before? You created this, normalized harmonized data set. You have one API to the building. You start playing around with ML, maybe integrating more of this stuff. Do you have this data set in the API? What next? What is this stuff that you're working on?
0: Some of the stuff that I'm working on right now that I'm really passionate about is just in time delivery for materials. So interfacing with OMs, pulling in all of the the maintenance record information, aggregation around different platforms, different sites. Being able to provide informed intelligence on a replacement perspective, a capital replacement perspective by aggregating like equipment in different geographic regions assigned by different vendors, getting into service level adherence for our clients. So that's really important to me right now because we feel that's an area where we can transform the marketplace From just a service perspective and how they're going to maintain this infrastructure long-term, where are their deficiencies? If Tom works on something and it takes him two hours and fixes something to completion, but Bob works on it and it takes him 45 minutes, but he's got three return calls now because he didn't spend enough time on it, why was that, right? How do we enhance our operations staff to give them more context and more ability. That's kind of one big section. And the next area that I focus a lot in right now is how do we move out and start to do more machine learning and not writing fault algorithms? I don't want to write any more fault algorithms ever again if I can afford it. I don't want to charge a client to say, hey, we're going to have to put one of our mechanical engineers out there and understand your building." and your processes in order to develop 30 more unique specific algorithms just for your site. I wanna completely move away from that. So we've spent a lot of time right there right now as well.
1: Awesome, and I think that's perfect. Okay, so you sort of figured out the smart buildings aspect, at least from, you know, BAS, BMS, traditional building automation perspective. Now you want to take that to like the smart portfolio perspective and also to cater that to operations teams, driving in like maintenance calls, all this kind of data from more like a PLM perspective from like all the assets in the buildings and to like make better assumptions or make better decisions across the whole portfolio. And then automating work as much as possible, and then so like being able to scale that up in an efficient way to the portfolio. From an automotive perspective, you know, looking at Tesla, I think that's sort of how they work, right? If you have like a car, you have a building, for me, it's sort of the same. It's an asset that is sort of connected to some extent, at least. And then you figure out, you have local control, which is the same in the cars as in the buildings. You want to drive decisions based on what is happening, both within the car, but of course, from its context. Ken Sinclair from automatedbuildings.com, he always says that making the building aware of what it needs to be aware of, right? And that is also taking in from its context. So I think like that perspective, and again, like not from a smart building solely perspective, but from a fleet of cars or buildings, I think that's where it's moving towards, right? And I think like you are definitely one of the furthest ahead that I've talked to so far. But from a digital twin perspective, what do you see there as in, The visualization component, how important is that one? Whether it's the floor plans or BI dashboard in terms of making decisions in a collaborative way. And I'm also sort of want to ask you a little bit about sort of mapping data to a structure. How easy is that when you're adding data to that structure, you're modifying it all the time? Does it become unwieldy or is it easy? Just those two perspectives, what you sort of like see from a digital twin future perspective.
0: We'll start with the visualization question. Yeah, BI dashboards, things of that nature, they've been around for many years. They're not going anywhere. They're just being incorporated into these other visualization platforms. So from a BI perspective, they were here before. They're going to be here tomorrow. It's a nice, easy on the eyes way to look at. If I build you a BI dashboard, yeah, I shouldn't have to explain to you what's on it.
1: There's a generic play there that sometimes coming into play. You know, we have a BI dashboard for everyone. And then when it's a BI dashboard for everyone, it's for no one. Exactly what you just said, right? So I love that perspective. Thanks so much. Okay, so the other thing then is mapping data to a standard or like taking in data from a different context that the buildings are in to be able to understand this. Because when you want to work with ML or AI models, it's all about the context. Because if you do it in a very finite way, Yeah, you can optimize the hell out of something, but you have no idea what affects it. So that is the biggest challenge, I guess, with advanced analytics in general, that you don't have access to the context in a good way, right?
0: Absolutely. And that's why one of the reasons why I love when Google open sourced DBO, they really gave everybody in the world an opportunity to say, hey, this is what we're using. When they did that, they didn't stop working on it, right? It's constantly, every day I've subscribed to the GitHub repo and I think I get 10, 12 updates per day. And if I want to make a recommendation, I can, right, directly to them. So, I mean, it's constantly being updated. So Microsoft has now released the DTDL, the Digital Twins Definition Language. And then of course, uh, Real Estate Core is out there as well that, that are all open source technologies now that give you a foundational standpoint to really start aggregating things in an ontology perspective. And again, so now we're not relying on vendor X, Y, and Z to do this behind the scenes in an area that's a black box. Yeah, oh, you want to know those? Don't worry, we got the relationships. We know what they are.
1: We got the modem tag list, as they say here in Sweden, right? We got this text. uh, We're sitting on it. Don't worry about it. Just call whoever. He's going to fix it, right?
0: Right. And so now it's just open. It's out there, but it doesn't stop there, right? It's not release it. Here's a standard that you can follow that incorporates some haystack and some brick and it allows you to really start to look at more and do bigger and better things as we start to get all of this relationship and this contextual information around the assets that are going to be loaded. As far as the automation of that and the interface, I mean that's just simple matter of programming, right? It's a smop. All you have to do is write some code or have somebody write some code that pulls in that information. And then to do that validation, And then you just have to understand how you want to apply it from there.
1: What do you do with what's
0: in non-conformance and what do you do with what's conformed?
1: Interesting. Let's say then you work with this for a client that doesn't necessarily want to open source like the end product, but they're using then open source technologies or ontologies, I would say. So you're taking the data in or using ontologies to map the data to that ontology, and then they don't want to open source it. Then you sort of like create something that is sort of unique for them. Is that different from supplying, so like the Modbus tag list, but actually like the ontology based ontology that is specific for them? And then do you provide them standardized ways of working with that ontology for them to continue doing this? Or is this your vendor lock in with the ontology vendor lock in?
0: No, it's funny because we get into this position that if we wanted to lock ourselves in there, we could. We just know, right? So we teach them. How to maintain it. Once we've set it up and it's running, we go through a process of okay, now that it's now that it's here and and, and it's working, we don't want to process the data anymore, right? So who on your team is gonna do that? And and we're very pointed. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do this in perpetuity.
1: Do they have people who could do this or not? Can they do this? What is the level of so like knowledge that you need to have to manipulate or to modify the ontology?
0: Sure. So a lot of times it's somebody on the software side of the house who we're working with because we interface with HVAC, we interface with the lighting systems, with the metering systems, with the CMMS platform, with vendor contracts and things of that nature. So it's much more than an equipment perspective, right? It's not just a chiller. So a lot of times we do it from a, a software perspective and we've been fairly good about getting somebody to take it over we do have some clients that say like okay we know we need to take this on but we don't have anybody to do it could you help us for six more months okay so you do
1: that you don't want to do it but you sort of provide it as a service in the transition period because they're not really there yet and you also know what they're doing so it's probably not a big headache for you anyway to modify this or keeping them up to date
0: right but i'd rather have those resources working on yeah yeah email, yeah in yeah, yeah, and exactly. and other areas right So I don't want to pay a body to sit there and just process log sheet. That's not what I want to do.
1: Okay, so then we sort of we walked through the whole smart building journey to some extent at least, and how to raise the digital maturity, and also sort of like to be there with the customers to say that you probably need one or two people from a software development side to be able to maintain this in some kind of way. So then the next podcast, we have to talk about edge, cloud, data strategies, uh, these kind of things as well, right? I've been working with Digital Twins now for a couple of years. So it's, again, more uh, on these sides, and it's more Unreal Engine, high-fidelity Digital Twins, and able to work with models or work without data models. So you have an ontology that you map for the data to the data. So that keeps it sort of like very industry agnostic because when I talk to real estate core, they say, okay, we're very industry specific. They play a role in this aspect, right? Same with buildings ontology, same with digital twin data language. Of course, they're mapped a little bit to real estate core, but it's very industry specific. And I think the world by large, it's not industry specific. And especially for organizations where they have a lot of data coming from different places, different sources, mapping that to a data structure that is sort of, tied to UDMI or whatever data structure that you have to map it to, that might become, in my opinion, unwieldy, might become challenging when you want to bring in the whole world to that context. And then again, you want to bring in the world to that context because you want to run AI machine learning algorithms based on more of a complete version of what the world looks like. Any final words to the audience? How can they find you?
0: Absolutely. So you can find me right on LinkedIn, Jeremy Richmond, DB Engineering. We're in Redmond, Washington. You can email me at jrichmond at dbengineering.net. That will get to me as well. And so final words, I love where the industry is going. There are people out there on the bleeding edge, and there are people still wondering how they're going to tie their shoes today. Wherever you are in the journey, I would say it's okay. The only... Parting word that I would give is, do better today than you did yesterday.
1: Perfect. Jeremy, such a pleasure. I had a lot of fun and uh, thanks so much. So Absolutely.
0: Cheers. Take care.
1: This episode is sponsored by Iden Proptic OS, the operating system for building owners. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast. Remember to like, share and subscribe. And if you liked this episode, make sure to tune in to the next one and also see if other episodes could be something for you. Your host, the master of the metaverse, Nicholas Wern.